Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey cuties, I'm Miles Sexton, a content creator, activist, and loud and proud disruptor of the norm. On Our Private Bits, we talk about the things and people that don't get talked about enough, or at all. Trust me, as a sober, HIV-positive, non-binary person, I would know. Join me as I chat with people in my life and from around the world whose stories deserve to be heard. Maybe you'll learn something new, and you will definitely LOL. Our Private Bits is also part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hey cuties! (laughs) I've always wanted to say that. Slater Manzo here. I'm the editor of Our Private Bits Podcast. Just a heads up for this episode, you'll notice that Miles' audio sounds a little glitchy. We both really wanted to keep these couple of episodes, so using some technology available, I did my best to repair their audio to make it easier to listen to. With that in mind, I hope you enjoyed the episode. All right, cuties. Today on our private visit, we have Tara Blizzard joining us, who is a queer professional basketball player, author of the Gender and Sexuality Journal, and social media content creator extraordinaire. Oh, want to say hi, Tara? Hi, everyone. Thank you so, so much for having me. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. I feel like the first time I saw you was through Sex Fluent and I just instantly was like, who is this magical being with the best hair ever and like killer (laughs) makeup and also like the words were wording and I was like, I need to be best friends with this person. (laughs) I literally felt the exact same way. Fashionista extraordinaire. I was like, who is this? Especially when we met in person, I was like in awe. Oh my gosh. So let's talk a little bit about that because we, like, I feel like we were following each other for like months before we finally got like kind of united in Montreal at the World AIDS Conference, which was super cool. But my first time, I think it was your first time too, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh my gosh. I just remember seeing you and I was like, you're even more gorgeous in person. But like, there was like, I don't know, a little energetic neck. And I just like, it was so busy and like bananas like running the booth. And I was like, I just want to talk to Tara all day. <laughs> no, same. It was actually a big deal for me because I had never met any of my online mutuals in person before. So it was kind of like a surreal experience. I was like, oh my gosh, I have all of these relationships with people online and people I've been following for years, people in the States, particularly where we FaceTimed and stuff and built a relationship, but we've never met in person. So that was the first time where it was like a real connection. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is real. Like these connections, these relationships, not that I ever felt that they weren't real, but it just really like solidified it. And it was kind of emotional. I was like, oh my gosh, we the wrong community is so real. It's true because I think all of us like built 
an even bigger online community you know like we were like in the middle of a pandemic and like we just couldn't connect with people you know especially in person people weren't traveling as much as you know we used to maybe so yeah i agree i felt like i felt the same way it was like the last like especially year and a half still like i'm meeting people for the first time that i'm like oh my god i've been chatting with you like you know two plus years over the pandemic but we haven't actually connected in person so yeah Oh, totally agree. So I guess like just just off the top, like have you done work in like the HIV like sector before, like coming on a sex fluent or like do you have any sort of connection to HIV at all? No, that was the first time. Oh, I love that it. That was the first time. It was so much learning for me, I think. Yeah. The first time I really, I guess, did my own deep dive yeah. into HIV was after just watching i don't what was it oh after watching pose yes when I watched oh, pose, such a good show time, oh my god so good but so raw and emotional yes. and when I was watching pose i wasn't even out yet i wasn't even like aware no way awareness like i was so deep into like heteronormativity and like convincing myself that i was the straight woman so i was watching it from like an ally perspective yes. and that's when i was like oh my god i know nothing about this like i i definitely need to do my deep dive and I need to educate myself on this. And yeah, so it was like a full circle moment actually being at the AIDS conference and then actually being out and queer and being around other queer people who are directly impacted by it. So yeah, definitely a full circle moment for me. That's so cool. So when did you like, when did you kind of like, I guess, start letting people in to your queerness? Like, what was that journey like? Oh my God. That was, I feel like I first had to let myself in. It was almost like it was the opposite of like the typical quote unquote queer experience of realizing that you're queer and then not feeling comfortable expressing that and Mm -hmm. coming out and telling people it was more like the moment I figured it out. I just was like, everyone needs to know. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And it wasn't like I wanted to tell people because I'm like, oh, I found this new thing out and I'm happy about it. It was more so I was like, I don't know what's happening. This is all so new to me. And I mm. need to, you know, go online and just like ask people questions to ask them if they're the only one, if I'm the only one who's experienced this, or is this like a universal thing? I just didn't really have anyone in my immediate circle to talk to about it. So I felt like I had to just like immediately come out to be like, guys, help me. Cause I don't know how, I don't know what's happening right now within me. Oh my God. Was there like, just someone come to mind that was like that person that you started asking questions to online? Um, no, not really. It wasn't like any particular person that I was like, I would like to know your insight. I think there were some people that I was seeing that I was yeah. like, Ooh, okay, okay, okay. And that's confusing me. And then I would like not even hide. I'd just like make a video or stitch their video and be like, I'm confused. You making me think that I might not be great. <laughs> I was like not hiding it whatsoever. I love that. I mean, that's such yeah. an interesting like diary to yourself, you know, <laughs> on your, on your journey. Right. I love it. I love it. So I guess like, so how long has been now since you've been starting to like, you know, I think explore your gender identity and your sexuality. Uh, three years now, oh 2020. Gosh. It was, oh my God, it feels like it was literally yesterday, but it was during the pandemic. Oh my God. I, wow. What, what a time. Dude, I, like, 
it's what's been so hard because it's like I can't meeting can't meet as many people maybe in person i mean honestly i feel like it was it made it a little bit easier for me okay it kind of took off that pressure of you know needing to come out and then explore physically mm. and all the things that i was already very anxious about and i needed time first to process and also being demisexual and you know not even really feeling like that desire to go out and explore physically i was like i need to first fully figure myself out and then you know create a connection with someone who makes me feel good and who i feel like i really want to get to know um and i feel like it kind of forced me into a relationship that I was comfortable in, which I didn't even realize what demisexual was at the time. Um, but my first two queer relationships were exclusively online. We never met in person. My first girlfriend, oh, we never met in person to this no day. Way. That's so Five interesting. Months. Yeah. So, so I felt like, I don't know. I felt like that actually worked for me more than, you know, if it wasn't in the middle of the pandemic and I was able to actually go out in person. I think that that's so interesting because I think so much of like dating is like, I think there's like a lot of like pressure and like societal norms that is like you need to lead with physical affection and like, and sex and like these sort of like things, right? And it's like what we see in movies all the time. It's like, it's very much like the physical piece is like at the forefront. So I think a lot of people probably don't know what demisexual means. So do you mind explaining like what your version of that means for everyone? Yeah, for me, being Demi is needing to create an emotional connection to someone before the physical attraction even really comes in. Um, I, f- I feel, you know, initial physical attraction to people just in general, but mm. it, there's no connection between the physical attraction and wanting to physically interact or be intimate. I think that's something that I've always kind of felt. Absolutely. Um, but when I was thinking and forcing myself to be attracted to men it was like it was an immediate sexual attraction because i was like well that's what i'm supposed to want totally i was like okay i actually don't want this at all this was never really there i was really just forcing it absolutely and i think like society and you know like this generational like colonial contracts are forcing us into it you know like Mm -hmm. especially for you know for women it's been so fucked up it was like oh like you know your role is to have children like that's yeah. i think women so much more <laughs> than that right <laughs> so sad. it's so horrible like, it's so bad to think about oh my right god. <laughs> oh my god so interesting so actually the first person i've had on the podcast that identifies as demisexual so i love this this is so cool oh, so yay. we're teaching you know teaching the cuties something new today <laughs> representation Um, right what was like i guess though what was the first time that like you heard the term demisexual and you were like that is it like did you did you go into other identities before you landed on demisexual or like what was that like yeah absolutely it was when when was this i think it was when i was oh no you know this was so i initially came out as pan because i uh didn't want to lose my connection, I guess, with my attraction to men. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, well, I already know that I'm attracted to them. So I don't really need to analyze that. Yes. So I must be attracted to everyone. So that was the initial. And then, uh, I did some deep diving into that and realized, okay, I'm actually a lesbian. Even that word. I'm still, yeah. I'm still, you know, I'm not sure about that yet. There's still a lot of work to do with that. Um, 
but yeah, so I was, um, sorry, what was the question again? I was about to go deep into like a rant about my attraction to men and like compulsory heterosexuality. And then I was like, that's not where we're going. What's the question again? I mean, I'm happy to go there too, but, <laughs> but it was more like, I guess like when you, when you finally like landed demisexual, like, and you heard that term for the first time, like, what was that experience like? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I had come out as a lesbian and I was like, okay, I'm attracted to women. And then I was like, okay, well, what exactly attracts me to and this was kind of like mm -hmm. intertwined in me starting to unpack my gender yes because i was like okay well then if i'm a woman who's attracted to women which is like the basic definition of lesbian i was like okay well what is a woman then mm -hmm. what does that really mean and what exactly attracts me to them like is it is it the physical is it like the body is it so i really had to go deep into like my physical sexual emotional spiritual attraction and what that means to me mm -hmm. and I realized that when I, when I initially meet someone and when I feel attraction to them, the sexual part wasn't there. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And it was of course through TikTok that I learned about what Demi was, what yes. Demi okay, was. Cool. I feel like when you start, you know, researching things on TikTok, it just will like feed you oh, the information, so that much you, content. you know, with the <laughs> algorithm. So yeah, some things about being demisexual that like the ACE community in general started coming up and I was like, oh, I have no idea what this is. Like, I've never seen this before. And then I read the definition after seeing a video of someone talk about it. And I was like, this is me. I had no idea that this was a thing, but this mm -hmm. is so me. So yeah, it was through TikTok. I love it. I love it. As someone who identifies as like pansexual, you know, like I, I totally like agree, you know, I think that there's it's like an interesting journey because like for the same thing for me, like I always like identifying like, thing that I was gay. Like, I don't know. It just like didn't my whole life. I felt like it just didn't sit right with me. And I was like, no, like I don't, I don't think that like the limit of my attraction is like just based off of like how someone's like gender, like what, how they identify like in terms of the gender and it was like I, I don't know and then it was like it was kind of similar for me too where it was like i finally like sort of heard the term pansexual and i was like no like that that, that is exactly you know me but like you know a little pan is like definitely a bit different than than demisexual where it's like you know for me it's not i, I don't really necessarily need to build like um you know, like any sort of, you know, I, I can have, I, I can lead with physical attraction, you know, um, a little, I guess for myself more versus like it just, you know, I, I don't necessarily need the connection first, but it's really like, I'm not looking at gender for people, you know, that I'm dating. So um, I'm not leading with gender, I guess. So, yeah. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's interesting and I love it. Like this exists and I, you know, cause it's just again, like I think we're, I think to your earlier topic that you want to go on rant with, like, you know, I think very much like we're forced sort of into these boxes of like, this is who you need to date and this is who you have to be with. And yeah, like, what, so what was like, what was your experience on feeling like you had to be forced to dating men? Um, I think, oh God. Um, I remember the very last man that I, was talking to and interacting with. And I, I always defined my feelings toward them as something that was a slow burn. Mm -hmm. So when they would express feelings toward me, I'd be like, Oh, I just don't catch feelings very quickly. And like, it's going to come and it just never came. Yeah. And I just figured 
it was just in you know a failed relationship and whatever um and then I you know realized that I was attracted to more than just men and that's you know when I realized I was pan and everything and I was like okay well if I'm diving so deep into my attraction toward other people of varying genders then I should probably try to figure out why I'm attracted to men as well it was just mm-hmm. a curiosity because so I'm like okay well I'm questioning like what is a woman and all this stuff and I'm like okay mm-hmm. well what is a man like what does that even totally. mean so when I started asking those questions and I was like, wait, what attracts me to men? Like, really just let me break it down. And I was like, is it anything relating to the physical? Is there anything that, for example, a woman might have that a man doesn't have or vice versa that, you know, particularly makes me attracted to them? And I was like, not really. You know, if we're talking about like, I want someone who's a leader and strong and like independent. I'm like, hey, well, I find that in anybody. Totally. And then it just really boiled down to like the physical body and the biology. And I'm Mm. like, okay, well, anything that a man could have, I could also buy at the store. 100%. (laughs) Am I really into them? And then I I came across the Lesbian Master Doc on, how did I come across it? Probably on TikTok. And for people who don't know, it's it's like an anonymous document that was posted i want to say maybe like a decade ago maybe sooner okay um, that kind of just breaks down what compulsory heterosexuality means which is like this societal understanding that women are supposed to be attracted to men and men are supposed to be attracted to women and how deeply rooted that is like from the moment we're born we are kind of fed that information even when you're talking to kids and you're like oh this one's going to be a heartbreaker it's going to get all the girls if you're talking to a boy and you know kind of naturally pushing us into those gender roles um and even on all the movies that we watch and all the books that we read and how there's like the prince and the princess and they get married and happily ever after everything is within a hetero context so i had just never questioned that before So yeah, when I started really thinking about it, I was like, wow, there are so many ways that I have been kind of primed and prepped to (laughs) live this heterosexual lifestyle that I don't think was ever really meant for me. Uh, So yeah, when I started kind of thinking about all of those things, I was like, wow, all of this time I was like in my mind, I know straight women say this all the time. They're like, oh, I wish I was a lesbian. I wish I was gay. I wish I didn't like men. I would say that all the time. And I was like, oh my God, I don't. I have my dream come true. <laughs> that was a great moment for me. I love it. But it, but it's good. It's good to have that self-awareness, you know, to be able to like deep dive and go through sort of those moments because it's just unfortunate. Like, you know, I think, I think like, you know, like I hear a lot like, oh, you know, the LGBTQIA plus community is so small. It's like 2%. But it's like, I really don't believe that we are only three percent of the total demographic it's like i think if the shame and the stigma was being removed and like the grooming that is happening for children at a very young age you know didn't happen i think that we would see a way larger percentage of just even people who maybe identified as bisexual or pansexual or demisexual you know like that it's like less 
you know, like this is who I, who I'm going to be with and maybe more self-discovery would like happen and, or, or sexual discovery, because, you know, I even, I, I hear so many stories too, you know, now about just men who still identify as heterosexual, but like, you know, they like want to get pegged and it's like, but like, you know, that is such a like hush hush sort of thing. And it's just like, I don't know. I think that we are all like beautiful beings that just like deserve the right to be able to discover who we are and and it's it's unfortunate like how we're brought up really impacts i think like the like the the limits that we can go to you know in discovering that yeah absolutely i felt that that was actually a privilege that i felt Mm -hmm. as a femme presenting person as someone who was socialized and raised as a woman coming out for me like i didn't have I feel the same level of anxiety as uh, someone who was raised as a man would mm-hmm. have, because there is just so much more guilt and shame built around that. For sure. And it's almost like you're downgrading of like, you are this masculine man and anything that you do outside of what is considered traditionally masculine is feminine and being feminine is the worst thing that you could be, Absolutely. <laughs> which is why, you know, like a man wearing a dress is considered absolutely shocking but no one bats an eyelash when there's a woman in a pantsuit yeah literally so true so true (laughs) it's like all of these pieces of our you know that i think it's like like these moments that we need to take to check our own sort of like the way that we react to things like it's something that i do a lot now it's like why am i reacting this way why am i feeling this way towards something you know and it's like i think it's really important that people like start questioning that you know because it's like you know it's like the same thing it's like if i post something super masculine on my instagram you know i'm in a suit with tyler we're going to a wedding it's like it is bananas how high the performance of that video will be versus you know calf awards i'm in a sequence like two piece with a giant headpiece like it still does well but it like will not do as well as like as super masculine and, and it is it's like such a deeply rooted thing of like people looking at femininity as a negative thing it's so awful <laughs> um, even in the queer community like i used to think that this was something that was reserved to everyone outside of the queer community totally. all and then I got here and I was like, wow, heteronormativity really has us in a chokehold. Like 100%. in lesbian relationships, we see it so clearly of how it's almost like sometimes we're, we replicate heterodynamics totally. of like the mask or the stud is the guy, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and we'll kind of take on those characteristics of being like the breadwinner or, you know, someone who's just less emotional and can't cry. And then the femme is like the woman. And I'm like, we're not this, the whole point of us being here is so that we don't do that. If that's what you want to do, if that's what you feel comfortable doing. Sure, go for like it. thought about it, hundred percent go for it, but we shouldn't have to like fall into those roles of like who's the man and who's the woman totally. like that's not the point that's why no. we're here exactly we're here to be liberated <laughs> of that <laughs> oh oh my goodness so i'm also curious just like on this sort of journey because you're a professional basketball player like what was i guess like is it in an accepting community like how how has that been for you like trying to navigate <laughs> I'm still navigating it. Yeah. Um, It's so weird because basketball, women's basketball is, you know, stereotypically a very gay sport. It is. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I, don't, I didn't oh know gosh. this. <laughs> I, yeah. so not, I don't follow sports, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I got you. This is why I'm here. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it's so because when I when I talk to other you know basketball people of this now, they're like, "How did you not know that you were you play basketball? Like, there's so <laughs> many of you on a team." But I don't know. I I felt like I was in a very specific bubble. Yes. Where. No, I never, I never met queer. I never met any queer people. Really? Until I honestly, until I got to university and my university coach was a queer woman. Before that, I had one friend who was like, in my mind, very obviously gay in high school, but we never talked about it. We never said it out loud. It was not, it wasn't like there was any positive or negative attitudes toward queerness. It was just never a topic of discussion. Just never. So even within a basketball context, yeah, it just never came up. I'm sure that there were girls secretly dating. There were girls secretly dating on my university basketball team. And we had speculations. Yes. It's not like we ever really focused on it and like fig- talked about what that really meant. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that they felt like they had to hide it was clearly an indication. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. That this was not a, a comfortable co- topic of conversation for people. Mm. So I came out again, you know, kind of 2020 ish. And then I left for my first uh, pro contract to play in Morocco 2021 in April. And again, I hadn't really had the chance to explore myself in person or physically. And then I was in Morocco where queerness isn't really uh, yeah. something that is openly and outwardly accepted. So I, you know, obviously I couldn't explore that there. Um, but now, I don't know, now looking back at it and, you know, I have conversations with my mom because she uh, is the coach of a prep school, okay. a really successful prep school in, in Ottawa. And I, I am now able to have conversations with her about, having identity conversations with her athletes and how important Mm. that is to have conversations about your identity as an athlete, because it's something that we typically ignore. Um, And that's the reason why I didn't come out until 2020. It's as much as I love basketball with all of my heart. It is one of the main reasons why I didn't realize that I was queer until the pandemic, because I wasn't able to play basketball. Mm. I wasn't able to do anything. Basketball was my like entire world if anything ever came up in my life bad or stressful there was no time to process that because i have a practice or i have a game so what time did i had to like 
question my identity. So now that's something that as a coach, um, I try to bring to my coaching style. It's just like trying to get athletes to think about their identities and figure themselves out. Cause I'm like, I know you'd feel like you don't have time, but it's so important because it's going to make you a better player. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I could rant about this for literal hours, but I guess that's a summary of how that journey has been. It's just really hard to, to question your identity when you're an athlete and your whole world is, you know, kind of dedicated toward almost neglecting yourself outside of your sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess it all becomes just about game, you know, but but I think that's interesting though, because it's like, I think if coaches and like this, the system, you know, of these types of sports really fostered safe spaces, I feel like it would bring people closer together. And I feel like it, to me, it would almost like seem like a person's like head would be like in a game, you know, way more because I'm sure like, that, you know, like these types of topics are so like heavy on like someone's internal dialogue that it's like, you know, if you could show up and just like be your authentic self that like, I feel like you would play even better, you know, like, so I don't know. I agree. A hundred percent. We, I, I feel like it needs to be a topic and it's really sad, you know, like it, it really made me sad to see like this weekend. It's not, it's not basketball, but it, it was like, you know, the NHL like announced that, they're no longer allowing like rainbow tape or things like that. Like, you know, and it's just like, no, like that is not the answer. I don't think to these types of spaces, it's like, it's moving backwards. Like, you know, athletes shouldn't have to wait their whole lives until their careers are like almost over to then finally like come out, you know, come out of the closet or publicly public of who they are. Like it's just like, they, they also need to be able to live their truth, you know? And, and I think it really will also help to like impact, you know, I think people who watch the sport, because I think oftentimes a lot of people who watch it don't have like queer references either. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish that I had that kind of representation when mm. I was watching sports. Like I obviously watched women's basketball all the time, WNBA. Yes. And there's so many, so many queer athletes in the WNBA, but it's not like it's a, you know, it's like an open topic of conversation. Um, I think recently we've become a little bit more, I don't even want to say comfortable but I guess it's been a little bit more acceptable to talk about identity within sport. I think after uh, the murder of George Floyd mm -hmm. and, you know, in the height of the black lives matter movement. And now you see like teams wearing black lives matter shirts yes. and, you know, taking that stand during the anthem and all of that. And I think that was one of the first times that I saw identity being considered in the realm of sport. Mm -hmm. um, but that was considered uh, that that was kind of, considering race yes. um and then i thought to myself i was like okay well in all of my years of playing sport i've never once been on a team or involved in a program or a school where pride month was even recognized mm -hmm. within wow. the team amongst the team i was like wait this has never been a thing like we've never even talked about it and i don't know it was just it was a rude awakening for me because i was like wow we really 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 don't consider all of the parts of a person when mm -hmm. we play sports and you know every single game we have to stand and we we stand for the anthem and we look at the flag and we have to consider the importance of where we're playing and the land that we're playing on 
And I feel like it's so much deeper than that. I feel like there's so many other things that we should be acknowledging and considering, you know, now it's great. We have things, we, we talk about black history month Mm -hmm. on a lot of teams. A lot of schools are now implementing that. They're like, okay, well, when are we going to start talking about pride month? Totally. You know, like, I think yes, it's like the onion, right? Like, it's like, definitely we're going, we're in the layer of like talking about race and like diversity and like that, that is so important, but it's like, you know, sexuality and identity is just, a, gender identity is just, it's, you know, it's just another layer that also, you know, like the, can be sometimes invisible there, but it's like, also needs to be talked about too, because there's still so much prejudice, <laughs> you know, you know, and it goes hand in hand, right? Like, there's just. Yeah, there's so much work to be done in general. So I couldn't agree more. It's amazing. Did you you get any like pushback at all in terms of like after you sort of like talk about like who you, you know, as I guess as you came out, I'm going to use the term for this context, but. In terms of. Like, like, I guess like in playing in the sport. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, not really. I don't think in in the context of sport. I mean, it's kind of tough because a lot of the conversations that I have surrounding this are online, almost all yeah, of them. Yeah. And uh, I turned off my TikTok notifications ages ago because totally. the comments are just absolutely wild. So I feel like I don't, it's an, I take an intentional stance and step to like not subject myself to negative comments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I almost prepare myself for those comments when I make a video about sport. Yeah. Um, but I think because there's so many layers to the hate that I receive for talking about women's sports, it's almost like people can't even get to the homophobia and the transphobia of it all because they're just so focused on the whole women are bad at sports and who's going to watch it. So it's like, you can't even get past that. It's like the misogyny of it all is just too strong. Uh, It's all interconnected, obviously, but it's like, yeah, I will have to sift through like a thousand of those comments before I get to someone talking about, you know, something homophobic or transphobic. I just like, because people can't see this, I just rolled my eyes so hard. (laughs) Like, uh, all the way back in the head. It's just like, uh, yeah, it's brutal. Honestly, like I... It, it's interesting because I think like watching your career like online and just like the content that you put out, you know, like it really like my heart really went out to you because it's just like the amount of just bullshit and hate and just racism you experience and queerphobia that you experience and misogyny that you experience. It's just like it's bananas because you, know, you are a trailblazer when it comes to just like really standing up for these these, these issues, but. So like you talk about like turning off the notifications, but like what else do you do to like sort of like navigate that? Because honestly, you have to admit I struggle with it. <laughs> oh man. Um I think I had to like take a real step back and put myself in the position of the people who are sending hate. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I had to extend a certain level of empathy to work so that i could understand them um and i just figured like okay you know what like why would this person take the time out of their day to type this and you know is it just ignorance or you know this a lot of these people have been taught to think that way Mm -hmm. their entire lives and 
I decided that, you know, after spending and honestly wasting so much of my time responding to these comments and not in a way where I'm trying to fight with people, but almost trying to change their minds and trying to educate, I realized I'm like, no matter how much work I put in to making video responses or comment responses where I pull out all of the research I've ever Mm -hmm. done. And I'm putting so much work and labor into like explaining to these people why these systems of oppression exist and why their opinion on this is like in misinformed or ignorant. And they will still respond back with the the first thing that they said, like, no, it went in one ear out the other or in one ear and then filtered through all of those, uh, you know, white supremacist ways and Mm -hmm. colonial ways they've been taught to process information and then at the end of the day, they just are not able to hear what I have to say. So I realized that I was just wasting my energy on those people. And I'm now intentional about, you know, sifting through these comments and responding to the ones that I feel actually facilitate any kind of real conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of what keeps me motivated is just being like, you know what, there's just some people who are here to, and sometimes I'm like, you know what, maybe this person had a really crappy day and they felt like just taking their anger out on some random person on the internet. Like a lot of people don't put a lot of thought into when they type on it because it's not like you're a person face to face. No, exactly. So I'm like, you know what, you're just having a bad day. I'm not the one. Uh, I'm just going to block the comment and move on because I am not going to give these people my energy anymore. I've done it for too long. And I had to take a big break from social media because I had completely exhausted myself. Yeah. Uh, It's true. I I find in those situations, like my, like mini me, it's so activated, like inside of me. And it like very much like I work through this a lot with my therapist that, you know, they're, like that part of me that was like, you know, very much like rejected as a younger child and didn't feel like I fit in and like was trying to make everyone like me because everyone just bullied me so much. That part of myself just gets so activated in these situations that like, I, I find like when I get those, like you know, we get these, these people that are commenting these horrible things, like it's just like, I'm, I realized that a lot of the reason why I respond to them is like, because I just want them to like me. And, mm-hmm. and that's actually like, not that's coming from a place of shame and like, and, and not actually coming from a place of love and like compassion and empathy. And I like, when I realized that it really changed my perspective on how I engage with people. And honestly, like, like you guys just like, I block the comment or I block them. It's just like, I just can't, I can't give them that sort of like energy and you know, it's different if someone's like genuinely asking a question, but I find like when it's like very much like these like state responses, it's just like, there's no room for discussion. Like you said, and it's just not worth it. Um, and you know, and I, and I really do want to focus on the people that are, you know, uh, that are leading sort of a positive conversation. Right. And like, how do I engage with those people? Right. So, but it's, it's tough. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that part right there about focusing on the people who are actually adding to the conversation or adding positivity. Mm-hmm. I, when I, I distinctly remember reading my TikTok comments, sitting in bed, this was like back when I was in Morocco when I had burnt myself out. Yes. Um, I, 
realized that I had been scrolling past all the positive comments, reading, acknowledging them, being like, thanks, thanks, thanks. And then stopping on the one hate comment and being like, I need to respond to you. I need to correct you so that you are in alignment with all the other people who agree with me and like me, like you were saying, and trying to like change their mind. Totally. And yeah, once I kind of realized that there's people who aren't going to like me, that's completely okay. Exactly. Yeah, like I think you said it perfectly. Like that is definitely something that I think as content creators in general, we fall victim to because mm-hmm. yeah, we just we want people to like us, we want people to see us and to hear us, to understand what we're saying. And it's almost impossible to do that in a video that is like one to three minutes long or in a picture and a caption. Yes. Like you can't explain to someone the extent, the full extent of who you are in no. that one moment. Exactly. And, you know, and I, and I think too, like for a lot of content creators, it's like the communities that we create online, it's the first time that we really feel like we belong somewhere, you know? And it's like, it's like, so it's so like devastating when a lot of like negativity and hate sort of comes in. It's just like very much you're like, oh shit. Like, you know, it takes you outside of sort of like that comfort bubble. I think too, of like feeling safe and protected, you know, within the sort of community that you, you foster online. So yeah. Wild West, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Someday, like, oh my god, you know. But it also brings me so much joy too. But, (laughs) um, so I did want to spend some time talking about your book, which is so exciting. I have not read it yet, but I I need to. So tell me a little bit about like why you decided to write the book and like what was the inspiration behind it, and yeah, so the viewers can or the listeners can find out about it. Yeah. Oh man, that is, it's an ongoing, um, I don't know. It's an ongoing feeling that I'm having. It's an ongoing process, even though the book has been written, it's a journal. Yes. So, you know, I'm still going through it myself. And for those who don't know, um, it's called the gender and sexuality journal and it's a prompt journal that kind of guides you through the process that we were kind of talking about at the beginning of exploring your gender and sexuality and deconstructing heteronormative standards and compulsory heterosexuality and just analyzing your attraction to people and if you even really feel attraction and how that manifests. All of the questions that I had been asking myself, all the questions that I felt like if someone had asked me this, I feel like I would have figured myself out sooner. I felt like I wanted to put that all in one place. Um, it's kind of similar to the lesbian master doc that I was explaining mm. uh, because it asks similar questions of like, okay, how do you deconstruct your attraction to men? And if you really feel it, but the difference is yeah, some of the criticism with the compulsive, the uh, lesbian master doc that I think I've personally kind of thought of mm-hmm. is that it's, very women centric mm-hmm. and it doesn't account for people of other genders, people who don't fit into gender at all. Totally. Men. Um, I felt like it was just very focused on women and the traditional uh, definition of women mm-hmm. and womanhood. And I was like, well, this kind of contradicts all of what is being said. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I just, I wanted something that was, all-encompassing and inclusive of all people, uh, which is why I have two sections in the journal that are exactly the same. Uh, There's one section for people who were socialized as quote-unquote women Mm -hmm. and people who 
were socialized as men, because at the end of the day, for the vast majority of us in the Western world, we were classified as one or the other. Totally. When we were men. And unless we had parents who raised us genderless, which is, you know, not as common, for sure. yet, um, you know, we were probably raised as one or the other. Yes. Uh, or expect it to be one or the other, even if we weren't raised that way. The outside world is typically going to put you into one of those two boxes. So depending on which box you feel like you've been put in, mm-hmm. it kind of guides you through the process of like cutting that box open and getting out. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of why I wrote it. I just wanted to have something that I wished I had had because I know how much I struggled mm-hmm. to have questions answered i was like running to google and typing in you know am i gay what does that mean (laughs) and it was only those like silly buzzfeed quizzes that come out that will be like oh you're like 68 percent gay and i was like what does that even mean (laughs) totally this doesn't help me and i would go to youtube and i would hear other people's stories and resonate with some of it but not all of it because we're all different and we have Mm -hmm. different experiences and I felt like I wasn't that typical queer person who knew they were queer from, from when they were a kid. And I was like, well, does that mean that I'm not queer enough? Or like, what is that journey like? And yeah, I just, I wish that I had had some kind of checklist or like a list of questions that I could go and answer that would, yeah, like just kind of help me figure it out. Um And I kind of tried to do that on TikTok. Mm -hmm. As you were saying, it was kind of like my diary because I needed somewhere to go. I was like, Mm -hmm. y'all, I need help. I have so many questions. And I have that on a playlist on my TikTok. I think it's called gender crisis because I was just like in a crisis mode for like a year and a half trying to figure things out. And that's kind of where that community was built. And I realized like, oh, I'm not the only one who has these questions. So yeah, that's kind of why I was like, I need to write this book. I think it's so important and I find it so inspiring because I think that we all have the power to create like what doesn't exist, you know? And it's something that I mm-hmm. really, really admire about people who, you know, just are like, I wish this existed. And instead of just being like, I wish this existed, are actually creating the things that need to be in the world. So I really applaud you for doing that because I know that takes a lot of vulnerability and courage too. And like, you know, and a lot of us, you know, it's expensive. So, <laughs> you know, and it's hard to do these sort of things, but I honestly, you found a way and I'm sure you're helping so many people, you know, with this, you know, and I hope it just continues to grow and expand. So it's so cool. So where can people find the journal? Uh, right now it's on Amazon. So good. Yeah, so you just type in the gender slash sexuality journals right there. Oh my God, get it the next Uh, day. (laughs) Yeah, literally. Amazon Prime. Um, I honestly, I don't love the fact that it's on Amazon. Um, We don't love Jeff Bezos. We don't love just Amazon in general, but I think, um, it was kind of the only way for me to get it out. Uh, especially self-publishing. Totally. Just the accessibility uh, of it. You know, yeah, it's so exactly. hard. It's like you have this one evil, but like now that I also live in a remote community, it's like there's nothing around me. And like Amazon is one of the only ways I can actually get certain things. So it's like, oh, it's so hard. Exactly. Yeah, that was that was definitely a decision I had to make and I had to kind of weigh the pros and cons of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've seen the positive in it and how it is just so accessible to people around the world. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I wanted. Um, not just for people in Canada to have it, not just for people in the US. Um, 
But if you do live specifically in Montreal, it's also in stores at a store called Wee Boutique Sensuelle, which is like the most amazing. I'm not even going to say it. It's not a sex shop. It's like a sexual health store, sexual education store. Oh, they have books. They have game. Oh, it's amazing. It's honestly amazing. Um, and we've we've had a workshop there. Kind of had like the journal opening. Um a journal launch, I should say. And we hosted a workshop where people could buy the journal or for people who already had it. We came in and kind of just went through the questions together and had discussions, which was amazing. So that's definitely something that's going to happen more. So yeah, those are for people who specifically live in Montreal. It is in store. Um, but if you don't, um, or you just want to order online, it's on Amazon. Oh my God. I love it. Um, my dear, this has been such a treat getting to chat with you. And I feel like I learned so many new things about you. Um, but where can the listeners like find you on social media or like find you out in the universe? Um, so they can all follow along too. Yeah, I, I'm primarily on TikTok and Instagram. TikTok is at T Blizzy, T B L I Z Z Y. Um, and on Instagram at Tyra Blizz, two Z. <laughs> Love it. I love it. Well, everyone, you need to follow Tyra and just watch all of their videos. They're so good. And thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I said you and I can't wait to see you in person soon. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. Thank you so, so, so much for having me. This was so fun. And I'm just so grateful that you're hosting these kinds of conversations. It's like, I don't really get to have this very often in person. Um, Minus just like with my partner. So (laughs) this conversation, like it really does mean a lot to me to be able to actually talk to a person face to face about this rather than it really just being online. So I really appreciate you for this. Oh my gosh. Always, always here to hold space for you. And honestly, there's like, I have other questions written down that we didn't even get to today, but (laughs) so we're going to have to have you back (laughs) because I need to deep dive in a few more things. Yes, yes, of course. I'm so down. Part one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cuties. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.